Jesus charged us with making disciples. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard that phrase, let's make disciples. If you're new to church, you're like, I have no idea what a disciple is. And a matter of fact, even if you've heard that phrase, you may even be like, I'm not real sure exactly what a disciple is. Uh, but Pastor Brian answered the question last week. A disciple is someone who believes so strongly in the cause of another that he cannot or she cannot help but get someone else and be a part of that cause. You see discipleship happening all throughout the Bible. You see a guy like uh, Moses who was discipled by his father-in-law Jethro. Uh, you see a Moses pouring in and uh, discipling a guy named Joshua. Joshua doing the same to a guy named Caleb. You see a relationship between a, a lady named Naomi and a girl that she discipled named Ruth, which is a strong woman in the Bible. Uh, you see Barnabas discipling Paul. Uh, you see Peter being discipled by John Mark. You see Jesus discipling the twelve. Like You see all these relationships and you're like, okay, I get it. They're disciples. Well, like there are some of you that you're, you're making disciples too. Like There are some of you that you're making disciples of Shakeology. There are some of you that you're making disciples of Thrive. Like That's all I see on your newsfeed is Thrive. Hey, Thrive with me. And like you believe in that cause. And so you're like, come get on board with me. Um, I happen to put everything on my newsfeed about Jesus because I believe about that cause. I believe that that's the most transforming thing that we could ever have. And so the bottom line is that we're all making disciples in some version or another. But the question is, what are you making disciples for? And last week, Pastor Brian posed this question. And I wouldn't have posed this question because I'm a lot more mature than he is, but he asked the question, are you worthy of the manure pile? He's like, are you, are you worth the salt on a manure pile? Like, are you a preserving agent? Are, are you benefiting the, the local church? Are you benefiting the kingdom of God by the way that you live your life? And are you really investing in someone else's life? And he just kind of walked us through that and and really, I was like, man, what a great job he did last week. And if you, if you didn't get to be a part of it, yes, for sure. I'm like, he challenged me to the core. He challenged our whole church to the core. And if you didn't get to listen to it, then hey, go online. It's available on our, our uh, resources online. And so make sure you go check it out because it's the perfect start to the series. And, and he just asked the question, what is a disciple? What does it look like? And then he also talked about the failures of the church. And we'll get to that here in a little while. But today, I just want to talk about, like, who can be a disciple? Like, who, who is this available for? So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 8. You see all these relationships uh, between men and even women in the Bible and discipleship and investing in one uh, of each other's lives and trying to promote them and bring them to the cause of uh, Jesus Christ or in Yahweh God, a part of the way. And so like you see all this. And, and so like, let's just look at it for ourselves and, and figure out this one question, who can do this? Like who can disciple make? Who can be a disciple? Who, who can be a part of it? Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Caesarea Philippi. And on their way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Like, who, who, do, who do you hear that people were saying I am? And then look at the disciples' response in verse 28. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others say that you're just one of the prophets. Like, like Jesus, you're one of the greats. Like, you're like Isaiah or you're Jeremiah. Like, you're someone that's come back from the dead. And then Jesus turns and he says, but what about you? 
And like you could hear a pencil drop. No, they didn't have pencils there. Uh, you could hear like a stone drop. You know what I'm talking about? And so like you, you, you could just hear it from a mile away. And they're like they're contemplating and they're looking at each other. And you're like they're wondering out of the 12, like who's going to pop up? Well, you know it's not going to be Judas. I mean, uh, so like they're just kind of looking. Okay, you know it's not going to be Thomas. He doubts everything. And so who is he going to be? And of course, Peter, because he's the guy who he doesn't mind talking. You know what I'm saying? He pipes up and look what he says. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Ding, 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 ding. Like He gets it right. I mean, he's like, you're the guy that we've been waiting for. Even from Genesis 3, when God told the serpent that he was going to be crushed by the heel, by the seed of woman, he said, you're him. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one. You're it. Well, how could a guy that believes this do something so stupid? Just a couple of verses later. Look, look what he does. Jesus then warns them to not tell anyone about what Peter had just said. And then he began to teach the Son of Man uh, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he speaks plainly about this. And Peter takes him aside and says, Hey, Jesus, hey, man, come over here in my office if you don't mind. He closes the door. And he just begins to scold him. You know, like all you can see is the silhouettes, you know. And then Jesus, I'm like, I just envis- like he takes the sign on the door and he just changes the title real quick, like you know, like okay, this is my office now. And so, then Jesus tells him as he gathers the disciples around, "Get behind me, Satan!" So like you're telling me like this guy who just spoke that you are clearly the Messiah, you're the one we've been waiting for. Now you're calling him Satan. I'm like, I've never done that. You know what I'm saying? Like I've ne- I've never called anybody Satan. Well, okay, maybe that, that one time that I said that to my mother-in-law, maybe. <laughs> maybe, tw- maybe. Maybe three times, okay? But, I mean, that doesn't happen all that often. But, I mean, the bottom line is, here's what Jesus is essentially saying. He goes, okay, you're calling him the Messiah, but you're looking for one that's going to give you political refuge and strength. And really, people of Israel, they hadn't had success for a thousand years. I mean, since the time of David and Solomon, a thousand years earlier, I mean, from then on, they've just been trampled by other nations. I mean, they've been overthrown. They have been taken out of their land, only to be brought back with no power, no clout. And here it is, the Messiah is here, and they think Jesus is the one. He's going to come with a sword. He's going to come with vengeance. Man, he is going to to take Rome captive, and he is going to put us back on, on the map. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I, I came to die. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And Peter's going, no, 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 Time out, Jesus. I have a different plan. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You get behind me, Satan. And then look why he says that such a strong language there. Look. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Do you know what that means for us? People who proclaim to be Christians, do you know what that, I mean, really, he is saying it is almost satanic that when you actually take your motives, your will, and your agenda, and you place it ahead of God's will, his place, and his agenda for your life. He goes, it's actually a product of the enemy. And I think, oh my gosh, how true is that for us even in this room? People who, we, we claim to be disciples. We claim to love God with all of our heart. Peter goes, look, 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 a sign of loving me means that you're not concerned merely about your own motives and agendas, but you're concerned about the things of God. And then he calls the crowd along with his disciples. And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take with the cross, and follow me. And you're like, yeah, that's it. You got it? Did you see that? 
Whoever wants to be my disciple, deny themselves, take the cross, and follow me. That's how you can be a disciple. And the question is this, who is it available for? Because you didn't catch that part. Whoever. That's new to you. That's new to a lot of us. Whoever. You're like, no, it's not new to me. Yes, it is. Because in churches, we think that it's for the elitist. Like, in order for you to be a disciple, you've got to be a monk in a monastery. In order for you to be a disciple, you've got to be a priest wearing a robe, and you can tell me who to pray to, when to pray to, and why to pray to. No, 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 no. It's not about a priest in the temple. It's not about a pastor in a church. It's about a people who would submit themselves to Jesus Christ and say, I am going to deny myself, my ways, my thoughts, because we declare your thoughts, your ways are higher than our ways. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pursue you. And that's the idea here is this, is that you're going to deny yourself and follow Jesus, and you don't have to be an elitist group in order to have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You may not could just be normal. You can be normal. You mean I can be broken? You can be broken. You mean that I can have a past that everybody else uses against me? Yes, you can have a past that everybody else has used against you, and God will use it for His glory. Like you, you, you're telling me that I can be a disciple. Whoever, whoever will deny themselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for this gospel will save it. And essentially he says this, In order to be a disciple and in order to make disciples, you are not looking for some spiritual gift floating around in the abyss. It is a posture of your heart saying that I want to follow Jesus. That's it. I want him more than I want anything else. And then he says in verse 36, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet to forfeit their soul? Sound familiar? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And you just see the ramifications of not knowing God and not abiding in him. And so you look at this and you go, awesome, anyone can be a disciple. I mean, Moses was a disciple and he even told God to his face, I'm not adequate, I'm not even an eloquent speaker, I don't have it together, I'm a nervous wreck. And God said, I can use you. I mean, Samuel was... Uh, a disciple. I mean, David was a disciple and a disciple maker. And, and listen, David was a little, squ- little squirmy, measly little dude that, what did I say a couple of weeks ago? He looked like Screech. You know what I'm saying? Like you look at him, you go, what good could come from him? And God used him. And the bottom line is not about your appearance, it's not about your stature, it's not about your job position, it's not about anything. It's about a position of your heart. You say, I declare God, and I love him, and I want to abide in him, and I want to richly grow in him. You can be his disciple. And then get the this, if you can be his disciple, it means that you can make a disciple. You got that? But here's the problem in the church. Like, here's the two things, and this is what Brian talked about last week. He said, here's the, here's the struggle. The church is, has this thing happening, and, and here's the two things that are happening. One, there's a thought from the church and from the people within the church that is actually an elitist group that carries out discipleship. That in order to carry out discipleship, in order to, to carry out mentorship within the church and invest in other people's lives, then you have to be one of the pastors. And that's a lie. Not only is it a lie, it's detrimental to the church and the kingdom of God. Did you all hear that? And so like, if it's not my job entirely, then whose job is it? Oh, hold on, y'all must have heard the different question that I just asked. 
It is our job. Meaning that every single one of us has to be invested in this. Every single one of us has to be involved in this. And we cannot believe the lie any longer that it's only the group of pastors that does it. Because if it's only the group of pastors that does it, there's only eight of us and there's four of us that are full time. We don't have time to invest in over 800 people every single week. And so what has it? What has to happen? It means that we have to all be making disciples. We all have to be growing. We all have to be investing in one another. Why? Because that's a part of it. And so we think it's the pastor job. On the flip side, the church has done a really poor job in, in showing people how it's done. And so next week, we're going to show you how it's done. But before I show you how it's done, I need you to know that you can do it. Did you hear that? Like before I show you how you do it, I need you to know you can do it. And so let me just show you a handful of things that are going to prove to you that you can do it. And if you are here and you're like, I can't do it, then this is going to prove to you that you can't do it. But instead of you formulating your own opinion in your mind, why don't we just go to the Scriptures and let it formulate our, our opinion, okay? And so the very first thing is this, is what does he say? you got to deny yourself. Like if you're going to be able to make disciples, you got to deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. Meaning deny yourself means you leave your former things behind, right? Yes? That's the greatest struggle for anyone who would ever make a disciple. Why? Because there are things about our life, things about our past, things about what's currently going on in our situation, our relationships, our habits, our hurts, our hang-ups that we love to hang on to. And listen to me. The thought and the notion of us giving everything up to God completely, 100%, is almost something we believe can't happen. Like you believe, like I want to give God, I want to give God most of my life. And, and like I love God. I do love God. And you're convinced that you love God. But God, you're not going to touch this. You're not going to get this. People don't even know about this. The bottom line is, is in order to be a disciple and make disciples, you have to deny yourself. Meaning this, you believe what God has for you is better than what you've made for yourself. You have to come to that point in time in your life. And some of you, you're going to hit dead rock bottom. You're going to lose people you love. You're going to realize that your addictions, you're going to realize that your hurts, you're going to realize that your habits, in the midst of your depravity, in the midst of the bottom, they don't work. And at that point, you'll finally turn. But it's going to take rock bottom. And you oftentimes ask the question and you wonder, God, why do you allow me to go through all this? And I'm convinced the Lord may one day tell us, I wouldn't have allowed you to go through so much of it if you had given yourself 100% completely beforehand. The problem is, we, we're, hey, we go through the school of hard knocks, don't we? Like, we, we, we're not fast learners, this human race. I want you to know that. Like, we're not intelligent people. I'm one of the dumbest cats in here, I promise you. I have to study and study and study before I preach it because I'm like, okay, God, because I'm about to look like an idiot if I say this. But the bottom line is, it, it literally is saying, I, I, I'm denying that and I'm going to follow you. And, and when you do that, then you love comp God completely. If you love God completely, you can make a disciple. Did you know, did you know that? Isn't that what Jesus really commands his people to do? He says, deny yourself, take up the cross, and then love me completely? Like last week, that's the, that is the whole question that Brian posed in Luke chapter 14. He goes, have you considered the cost? Have you understood what it is that, that makes you worthy of the manure power? He goes, 
It's like two builders. You got, you got a guy that's going to go out and build a tower. It would be foolish for him to go build a tower without first getting plans and understanding how much it's going to cost. Wouldn't it be foolish to build this giant tower and then run out halfway through of all your resources? Wouldn't it be foolish to be a general going to war and you get all your men gathered up and you're racing through the valley and all of a sudden you get attacked and it was because you never ever planned ahead for what could happen? Wouldn't that be foolish? Wouldn't you look like a fool? Jesus says, you look like a fool when you claim to love me but don't deny yourself and you don't love me completely. And that's what he said. You remember the, a group of Pharisees and a group of people coming and they try to trap Jesus and they want to ask him this one question like, hey, what's the most important law? Like what's the very most important thing that you should do? And Jesus in Matthew 22, he says, as he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You remember that? He goes, it's the love of the Lord. Completely. He goes, it's, that sums it up. Love the Lord. And then he goes, and there's the second one and it's like it. He says what? Love other people. So you got to deny yourself. Can you do that? If you can do that, you can make disciples. Can you love God completely? If you can do that, you can make disciples. Why? Because if you deny yourself and you love God, then you naturally love others. That's what Jesus said. He said the second's like it. You love other people. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Yeah, I worked with a guy a handful of years ago in ministry. Literally, I'm not lying to you. That he's like, I really do want to help in ministry, but I just don't like people. I'm like, well, we have a little problem. Because, like, like, ministry involves people. You know what I'm saying? And like, I know that there's a lot of people like, well, I'm just kind of behind the scenes. You know? But he didn't want to be behind the scenes. He was like, I really want to be involved in ministry. I just don't like people. And I'm like, well, how do you not like people? I don't know. I just don't like people. They just annoy me. I'm like, okay, awesome. Where do we go from here? I think I'm going to make you, I'm, I'm going to let you mop after Wednesday nights or something. You know? How do I get him away from people? And here's the thought process in this. If you think for a moment that ministry can be done without you loving people, then you're wrong. And the reason why is John actually says it himself in 1 John chapter 4. Look what he says. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Did you see that? If you love, you know God and you've been born of God. I, okay, I take on the contrary, okay? If you don't love him, oh, well, he answers it for me. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. Basically, he says, if you deny yourself, take up the cross, follow Jesus, and love God completely, then you naturally love other people. And so, like, you'll never convince me that the deacon who's been a deacon at the local church for 50 years, but he smokes a cigarette and he's got a frown on his face and he doesn't even say, hey, we're glad to have you today as he opens the door. He's not a Christian, and he has no business greeting anybody. And the reason why is because he's just a grumpy old man that has an agenda against something. And I see it on a deeper level as a grumpy old man who, what, does not love Jesus. And if, why? Because if you love Jesus, the natural byproduct of that is love. Did you just hear that? The natural body, like you cannot be involved in ministry. You cannot do ministry. You cannot claim to love God, John says it himself, and not love other people. It's not possible. And so like if you're that person right now and you're like, I just hate people. Wait a second. Have you, have you come to this thought process in your mind that, that God actually had to reach a lot further to get some people in grace than he had to reach and get you? 
Like, is there something going on in your heart and your life where you think that you're more worthy of the gospel than the person over here you don't like? Or are you kind of coming to the notion that they don't believe forgiveness, but you did and you got the ultimate forgiveness of the cross, but you can't issue forgiveness? It does not jive. It's like oil and water. It doesn't work. You understand? And Jesus says it so plainly. If you deny yourself, you'll love God and you'll love other people. John says, if you love God, you'll love others. It's a product of who God is. Isn't it interesting? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the very first one is? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Why? Because you can't love too much. You can't just have too much joy, peeps. You can't have too, too much excitement for God. It might annoy people. It might make some people mad. But the bottom line, it pleases the Lord. And it radiates. And people want to be around you. Why? Because they believe you're the real deal. And so if you can do those three things, and I think it sets you up to do some of the other ones. But here's another one. If you want to make disciples, you just need to be able to communicate a healthy biblical worldview. You're like, oh, this is where I get, okay, this is where I kind of, this is where, okay, this is where I have a problem. I've hit the wall right here. Yeah, I love God. I love the people, I, I, most of them. And, but man, this right here, well, let me ask you a question. You think, okay, can I, can I do this? Can I communicate God's truth? Let me just ask you a handful of questions. Y'all ready? And I would love a resounding yes or no, okay? You ready? Y'all ready for this? Do you realize that you're a sinner? Some of you, you're trying to figure it out, okay? But you're a sinner. Do you realize that God is holy and perfect and pure? Yes. Do you realize that he sent his one and only son who never sinned for you so that you would no longer have to be categorized as a sinner? Yes. To give you hope of eternity, a relationship with him forever? Yes. Do you realize that he wants to change your life? Yes. Meaning he wants you to take all these things that you've given your life to and he wants to remove. So there's some of you in here that he's ready for you to quit smoking all the things you smoke. There are some of you that you've convinced yourself that I can drink all these things, but he's like, no, 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 it's time to give some of them up. It's time to grow up. Amen. There are some of you over here that you're like, no, it's okay if I continue to have sex outside of marriage. And he's like, no, 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 it's time to move on. Now listen, if you're his disciple, right? And so there's a different standard for those who you're like, I'm not ready to give my life over to Jesus Christ. I, I see a clear difference there. The reason that they don't want a relationship with Jesus Christ is because the clear difference over here is not that clear. you got a Christian who's doing all these things they've formerly done, and you just keep going. I'll just chalk it up to good times. I'll just chalk it up to what, I mean, he's, I mean, I don't, gosh, I don't drink it. I mean, come on, I don't drink as much as I used to drink. And look, this is not about alcohol. It's not about smoking weed or cigarettes or anything else. The problem with all of this is the question is, it's about your heart. It's about the context in which you do these things. It's about why you do those things, the motivation behind them. It's about who you do them with. It's all of those things. And there's some of you that you're like, oh my gosh. I, oh. No, no, can you communicate this to people? Because here's what I know about a disciple. A disciple at some point has to say, it's time for me to grow up and move on to other things. Does that make sense? A 58-year-old doesn't need to look like an 18-year-old. A 38-year-old doesn't need to look like a 13-year-old. 
The problem is, is in our churches, our 58-year-olds look a lot more like 6- and 7- and 9-year-olds. And our 70-year-olds are looking a lot more like 18- and 19-year-olds. Why do I believe that? Because it's addressed very plainly and very clearly in Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews says so clearly and explicitly, he says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Like, honestly, parents, like, you got some kids. Is it acceptable that your 20-year-old is still walking around sipping on a, a, a bottle and wearing Depends? I, like, I'm asking you this seriously. Like, you, know, like you never bring that kid out of the house, do you? You're like, oh. I mean, honestly, like, you're, you're starting first grade, and you bring the diaper bag with you, and you're like, I know that this is weird but we just haven't got him off of the bottle yet, and he's, he poops on himself about three times during the day. Here's diapers. Now, like, wouldn't that be awful? Like, I mean, seriously, wouldn't that be awful? Like, you're like, that's not even natural progression. The writer of Hebrews says it's not a natural progression for you to be a Christian for 20 years and still like you've only been a Christian for a year. He goes on to say in, in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature by what? Whose constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He says, after a certain point in time, it's time for you to grow up. And there are some of you that you've been Christians for three years. Well, let me tell you something. My three-year-old right now is not drinking on milk anymore, and he is not pooping on himself. He's three. And you're going, is he really just, is he using this illustration? Yes, I am. And here's the reason why. is because there's a certain point in our Christian walk where we have to realize that it's time to grow up and move on from the elementary foundations and truths of God's Word. It's not okay to simply call yourself a Christian and then continue to sit and sour and soak in the same things you've sat and soured and soaked in for 20 years. Or 30 or 40. It's not okay that we're in a, start, a place in our church right now where we want people in journey groups and they're dying to get in and we've got too many people who say, I'm not ready yet. I can't do it yet. I'm not, I'm not your guy. I'm not your gal yet. Why not? Do you realize you're a sinner? Yeah, I get it. Do you realize that God reached way down from the depth of heaven and His perfection to grasp a relationship with you? Yeah, I get that. Do you realize that God's calling you out of your sinful life to live a life of holiness? Yeah, I get that. Are you doing those things? I mean, I'm working on it. But guess what? You can be a, you can be a journey group leader here. But the notion in the church is this. I need to learn a little more. I need to be taught. Let me just learn a little more. Well, you've been learning for 20 years. Some of you, you know more than I do. And you just want to learn more and more and more. And listen, that is the product of deadly churches. It is the product of why so many churches are dying. It is the product of why so many people aren't being used. And it's because of this notion, if I'll just learn a little more. You know enough. If you can communicate a solid biblical worldview, as Peter, hey, he tells us, look what he says in 1 Peter 3, 15, 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Can you do that? And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Meaning, hey, always be prepared to give a hope. Like, like you and I need to be able to communicate why we have a relationship with Jesus. 
Like if you can't communicate how you had a relationship with Jesus, I have to question, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because it's, it's very clear. You, you're either a sinner fallen from grace and in need of a Savior and in need of leaving your old life behind, denying yourself, loving God, loving others, and commu- committing yourself to Him and His church, or you don't. And if you know those things, then it's simple to communicate them. Does that make sense? That's what it looks like. These people, too, like if you're going to make disciples, you're committed to the local church. Like you're committed to it. Like you love it. You love what's going on. You love to be involved. You love to use your talents, your gifts. And you literally want to be plugged in. You want to be plugged in. They don't make you. They don't require it of you. You want to. And that's the problem with so many things happening in churches, and it happens here. I'll be in a journey group because they're going to make me be in one. No, 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 no. You've missed it. For us to connect you to God, others, service in the world is our mission, and it's our guide. But listen, it's not the means of the end. And here's what I know. You can, what, connect yourself to God any way that you, you claim that you do. You can connect yourself in a journey group once a week or for some once every six weeks and say you're in a journey group. You can say that you serve somewhere, but really you don't. Uh, you can connect to the world. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter. Even if you're doing all those things faithfully, it does not make the mark of a disciple. Just because you do those things does not make you who God wants you to be. Why? Because it's a hard issue. We're simply trying to set it up on a tee for you and say, here's a way to get involved with people and a way to hear God's word on a more consistent basis rather than just once a week or just once a month or whatever it is so that you can what? Grow in him. But you're committed to the church. It's not a burden. It's a joy. It's not a beating. It's a celebration. And that's the idea. People who want to make disciples, also have a sense of purpose and eternity. You got it? And like, you believe why you're doing it. Like, the reason you serve, like, there are people serving right now in our kids' ministry, and the reason they do it is because they really believe that there is eternity at stake for four- and five-year-olds right now in our preschool. Like, they really believe that there are third graders right now that they need to hear because they're at the most formative ages in, in their whole life to be able to hear and respond to the gospel. That's why they're doing it. And they're there every week. And honestly, we, we, it's almost a thankless job. Last week, I didn't preach, and so I spent all my time in kids' ministry just observing and just seeing how people loved on your kids. And, and listen to me, like we just drop them off, and you just assume that, that they're just going to watch your kids. No, no, they've been prepping all week. Why? Because they love the church, and they're committed to eternal purposes. Like they're not just merely watching your kids. They want to invest in your kids. They want to pour into your kids. They want you to pour into your kids with them. Are y'all with me, or are you mad at me? The thing is, is this, though, it's a, it's a sense of eternity. And let me explain it like this. My wife is planning for Easter. She runs our preschool ministry, and, and uh, she was contacting all of their volunteers and making sure they're getting lined out for Easter, two services to the high school in a couple of weeks. And, and listen, like, if, if you've never been a part of that, we encourage you to come serve, even for an hour, whether it's at the egg hunt or the high school. They're both kind of going on simultaneously. you got egg hunt going on. you got set up at the high school for two services. And let me tell you, it is work. Like, it doesn't just, like, you don't just snap your fingers and move an entire campus from here over to the high school. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, you're like, oh, uh, yeah. Like, we just kind of show up, and you're like, oh, it's awesome, man. The high school has cribs here, too. No, 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 no. Like, uh, we moved it all. Yeah, like yesterday, while we were all picking up eggs and eating chocolate, we got people that are setting it all up. 
And my wife is contacting her volunteers because, I mean, it's all hands on deck. And, and, and yeah, we go to two services, but those two services are going to be packed. And she's like, hey, which one are you going to going to be at. And one of her great volunteers, it's a, a lady in our church who is solid, mature, like could be my mom. And, and like I can, I, I gained so much wisdom from this couple. She replied back to Kelly and she said, hey, if possible, I need to serve the first service because we've got something going on that afternoon in Dallas with our family. And it would be easier for me to make that transition. And Kelly wrote her back and said, I'll I tell you what, why don't you just take Easter weekend off and enjoy it with your family and we'll make sure that, that this is something that, you know, we'll take care of on this end. Now, this is one of her main teachers, like one of the core teachers she had. And the lady wrote back and, and Kelly showed me this text on Friday. And she wrote and she said, I worship God every day during the week. I spend personal time with him and the word. I have a, a deep abiding relationship with him. I think it will be okay that if this Easter weekend I just serve and I don't have to worry about worship and going so that other people who've never come to our church or have never really put their faith in Jesus Christ can. And I thought, golly, that's it. Because, see, everybody else, we ask the question, including me, because I'm a selfish kind of guy. Well, hey, I might conserve over there, but let me figure out first. I'll get back to you. I need to figure out when my family's going to go and worship. Do you see the difference? See, she has such an eternal purpose and mindset, values there, that she says, it's not, it's not about whether or not I get to go and worship with a bunch of adults. She says, I worship God every day in my life. He's got all of me, and if I can give myself completely to an Easter weekend to make sure other people come so that kids are able to hear the gospel, then so be it. I, there's no need for me to sing songs that I've already sung before. There's no need for me to hear another Easter message because I'm in my 60s and I'm pretty sure I've heard them all. And that's it. That's it. That's what it looks like to be a disciple maker. The other thing is you have to live by truth. Like there's a certain point in your life that you have to have right and wrong. There has to be a source of guide and strength, something that declares that you are right and that you're true. There has to be a plumb line. And folks, I believe it's right here, the Word of God. But there has to be a certain point that if you know these things and you can communicate them, that you actually live by them. Because, you know, in there people that say all the time, don't do as I do, do as I say. You ever heard that? Some of you macho dads have said that to your sons. Boy, don't you do as I do, but you do as I say. That doesn't work. It does not work. It doesn't work. But you know what they will do? They'll do exactly as you do. It's like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know what? Your son will imitate you if you'll imitate God. There's one guy in our church that he told his little five-year-old son, he said, son, as you look around and you see all these other guys doing what they do, he said, you don't keep your eyes on them, buddy. You keep their eyes right here on I know two dads have done that. You keep your eyes right here on me. Why? Because they believe in truth. And they say, if you want a guide of godliness and righteousness, you look right here. Half of the people who would call them disciples actually don't have the guts to tell their son that. Here's what they would rather say. Son, don't watch me. Man, you watch that youth leader you got. He's a good one. Hey, don't watch me, but hey, watch that, per that, that, hey, that worship pastor, man. I've been watching him. He's a good one. What a terrible way of thinking. Son, watch me. Watch me. And the reason we don't say that is because we don't want our sons watching us in theory. Because we don't want to live by this. We don't. 
It sounds good. I mean, in theory, it's great. But can you teach, can you teach your kids what it looks like to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Can you teach your son what it looks like to be a godly man, to hold out in purity until he sees his wife for the first time? Can you teach him that when all his buddies are over here partying and living it up to stay plump and true, even in the college days where we all, hey, we break free of the church and we live it up, can you do that? Can, can Dad, can you do that? See, the problem is, is that there's all these statistics about how the church is losing kids when they graduate. Well, listen, that's not the church's problem. It's parents' problem. And it's because we're not living by truth. You have to be a person who can reprove or correct people. That's what the Scripture is for. Y'all know 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For what Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and what? Training in righteousness. Did you know that? Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you know that? you got to be able to do that. you got to have hard conversations with people. You know why journey group leaders hate to be journey group leaders? Because at Stone Point, we make them have hard conversations. You know how, how fun that is? Not fun. Y- y'all know that? It's not fun. Like, you know the hard conversations? Like, there are some of you that you're teachers, and like, you have to have a hard conversation with one of the administrators, but you're like, you've been putting it off for weeks. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's a, there are some of you parents that like, you have a, a at work, you have a, a relationship issue and tension there, and you got to have a conversation. You're like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know the same thing happens in churches? Did you know that? But there's got to be a point in time where someone believes in what? Someone else so much, they have to say, brother, the way that you're living is in total contradiction to what the gospel is calling us to. And you got to be able to have that conversation. Amen. you got to be able to say, okay, what, what you're doing, I get it. And right now you're young, buddy. You're still in diapers, man. You had not been a Christian that long, so I'm not expecting that the next time you hit your hand with a hammer that you're not going to throw out a bomb. But listen, at five years, it's time. It's, it's time to move on. You, you can't, just because you get scared or just because somebody you know, makes you mad, you can't just hurl insults and start cussing them out. Like, you know, you got to move on. Just because you hit your hammer one day with a nail and a hammer, okay, your hand with a hammer and a nail, you, you can't just go explicit. Why? Because at some point you got to grow up. Listen to me. I'm telling you, as your pastor, that if I hit my hand with a hammer, you're not going to hear a bomb come out. Why? Not because I'm special, but because I've worked very diligently over the past 20 years of my life since becoming a believer in Christ to change the things that I what used to love. You're not going to find me in a bar or in a nightclub. Why? Because if you saw me there, then you would absolutely judge me, and some of you wouldn't even come to church here, but it's okay for you to be in the same bar or nightclub. That's crazy. That's ludicrous to me. What kind of thinking is that? And so the thing is, is like, at what point do we change? And then here's the deal. If you're going to disciple people, here's the last one. Y'all ready for this? You have to have a tenacity that no one else has. Journey group leaders... Whether you're in a journey group or not, you can disciple people. You know what I'm saying? Because what? you got to love God, love others, be willing to disciple each other, teach them a little bit of God's truth, be committed to the local church, have a sense of purpose and vision and eternal security, right? And purpose, what you're doing, got it? And hey, you have to have tenacity. Why? Here's why. 
Because, hey, we'll, we'll send out a journey group leader, and, hey, we'll get them all pumped up, and finally we've convinced them that, hey, look, you could really do this. Like, and they're like, no, no, I can't either. I'm like, yes, you can. You can do it. I promise. We're going to walk with you. And for some of our journey group, I'm leaders. I mean, I, I can think of Archie. I can think of Cody. I can think of a guy that I'm working with right now on Friday mornings. I mean, r- hey, we're working through it. And for a year, I'll spend time with them just teaching them and showing them what it looks like. I'm just, I mean, just one-on-one. It's us. I mean, having coffee, eating our toast, learning the Bible. And then finally, I get them charged. And I'm like, okay, take off, dude. You're going to do this same thing with five or eight or ten people. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Good deal, man. Let's go. And I'm like, I'm coaching them. They're all pumped up. And they get there, and they get their uh, first group together. And there's like eight of them, and they're all excited, and they're pumped. They're like, okay, man, we're going to meet next week at our, our house. And, man, I hope to see you there. And he gets there, and he's prepared his lesson all week. Man, we've been studying for three months just for his first message. And finally, he gets it all ready to go. And he's got this great discussion questions. And, and the night is set at 6.30. People should be showing up, and no one's there. And then it's 6.45. No one's there. Seven o'clock. Oh, here they come. One, uh, yes. Oh, no, that's my neighbor. God. First week, they had one person show up, and they were 30 minutes late. He texted everybody else. Man, I thought we were on. Like, did I, did I communicate wrong? Did I say two weeks? And I I'm, and I'm in. no, 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 man. It was the first sunny day we've had in six weeks. And, man, I had to get the peas in the ground, you know. Okay, I get it, man. We'll see you next week. And next week, man, he's ready. He's charged. He's pumped. I mean, he's been texting. They've been back and forth. And guess what? Here they come, and two of them out of the six show up. And the one that was here last week didn't even show up. So now he's thinking, man, I must have done a crummy job. Maybe you can run them all. Week three, here they are. I'm ready. Maybe we're going to get all six of them here. And then guess what? Another new one shows up, but the former three that had been here before haven't. So I got one. Now I've seen four or six, but I've never seen them all at the same time. And then there's two of them. That I, like I don't, they're not even replying to my text anymore. They're, maybe they must be annoyed. But the thing is, is this. It's a tenacity to keep pressing on. Why? Because discipleship's not easy. But it's just saying, you know what, we are going to lock arms and we're going to keep moving forward. Let me explain it to you like this, because I think you guys can get it. And if you're parents, you can get it, okay? My little five-year-old, he's kind of getting to the point where he's ready to ride a bike. And you, you always put training wheels on first, right? And, like, you, you get him out, and, I mean, he's pedaling away, and, I mean, he's excited. And, I mean, here he goes, and he gets about 10 feet into it, and, then, I mean, he, that thing just flops over. You know what I'm saying? Turns over. He's all crying, and he's all bruised. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. I get him, and I kind of hug him up, and I'm like, man, my bad, my bad, my bad. I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. And I'm like, I know. My dad told me to marry a woman who's six foot and had great athletic ability, but, hey, I got your mom. And, and it's okay. Like, I mean, it's, she, hey, she's, you know, Let's do it again. And so we do it again, and I run with him a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then I let him go, and all of a sudden, wham, he hits again, and he's getting, he's cried up. I mean, now mama's crying too, because I, I, I'm like, man, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry again. I, I'm like, hey, you got, her, you got her jeans, dude. I'm sorry. Let's do this again. She gets him all wrapped up. He's padded up. I mean, he's I'm cellophane wrapped, all that. And I'm like, he can't hardly pedal. And so, like, we're going to do this thing again. So we get to the start of the driveway, and here we go, run, 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 run. And, hey, we do it again. And guess what? This time, he's running. I'm running. And finally, like, I'm out of breath. So I'm like, I can't run anymore. And I let go. And that little dude, is, he just keeps going. And like he thinks daddy's right next to him. You know what I'm saying? He's just, I mean, cellophane wrapping all. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness. 
He's going. He's going. He's going. And that's discipleship. Like you feel like that at first, it's like this impossible bike ride. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been spending weeks with your kid, and you're just like, can you please, please get this thing right, dude? You know what I mean? Like we've been on training wheels for, for four months. Let's take these bad boys off. And, and finally you do, and there's a, there's, a, there's a few hits, hard knocks. There's some scrapes and bruises. There's a little bit of blood and some tears that have been shed. But, man, isn't it worth that moment when he finally rides off into the abyss? And look, listen to me. Look right here. I need everybody to look right here. The goal of this message is not to beat you down. The goal of this message is to help you understand that to deny yourself it means to take up the cross. And guys, it's not as hard as what we claim for it to be. But there has to be a point where we realize I would rather live by the truth of God's word than live by the guide that I've made for myself. And when you get there, it's like taking the training wheels off and, and, and you just you ride off and, and there's a peace and a joy in your life. It doesn't seem that there's as much chaos. There's not as much confusion. There's not as, as much gossip and slander and drama. And you're like, I'm doing this. And then in turn, you can share what you know with someone else. That's discipleship. And see, your thought is, is well, I'm not that great. I'm just one person. And let me explain something. You're not Billy Graham. You got that? You're better. You're better. Let me explain it to you. Billy Graham sets out in his first year of ministry, and let's hypothetically say he preaches 365 days a year, and every single day he preaches, a thousand people come to know Jesus Christ. How many of those thousand people does he get to be one-on-one with? None. He sends them off to some counselors. He goes, I hope you guys follow up well. But he reaches 365,000 people in that first year. And you, you only reached one. You invested in one. But guess what? At the end of that year of you reaching one, discipling one, training one, teaching them godliness and righteousness and all those things, they in turn can do the same thing. And so the next year you go, it's your turn, buddy. Get your training wheels off and go get you one. Go get you one, baby. And hey, like a coach, you pump them up and you're like, let's do this. You know, you feel like an Evander Holyfield. You're ready to box. You're ready to fight. You're not running aimlessly. You're not just throwing blows in the air like Paul said. You have purpose. And you're ready. You're like, I'm good. I'm ready to do this. And in year two, you both do it. And you reach four. Kind of like that video we show, you know. But let's just say ten years into it, you look at old Billy. And he's re- he reached almost 3.7 million people. And ten years into it, you and your buddies, you've reached 1,024. Woohoo! You don't feel like Billy Graham, though, do you? But let me ask you a question. Y'all ready for this? What if you committed for 25 years of reaching one, making one, and sending one? And we all did that for 25 years. And it just started with one of us. Well, the cool thing is, is that I know that in the last four or five years, I've discipled more than that. Like there's been at least one disciple every year that in turn is discipling someone else. But like, let's just say we all started doing this. After 25 years, old Billy's reached a little over 9 million, but we've now reached over 33 million. Let me explain something to you. It's not as hard as you think, but you've got to dive in and, and get going. There's some of you right now that you, like, you have to get wrapped up with cellophane. You do. 
you got to put the pads on because it's going to be rough. It's going to be a struggle. You're going to get bumped and bruised, and there's going to be some accountability that takes place, and you're not going to like all the conversations that you have. But ultimately, you go, in the end, I know it's best. I'm ready to get my training wheels off. I'm ready to do this on my own. I don't want to be an infant simply sipping on milk. I'm ready to rot. I'm ready to ride. I'm ready to eat meat. And you go, that's where I am. My prayer is that you know that your life counts and that, yeah, who can make a disciple? Anyone who would deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. What is a disciple? It's you taking one other person because you believe so strongly in the cause of Jesus Christ that you say you need to be a part of this too. And so next week, I'm going to tell you how. And then we're going to start doing this. And so I'm going to challenge you next week. And uh, for some of you, we won't see you. But for others of you, that when you're back, we're going to see you. And I'm going to put a challenge out there. And the reason why is because we're at a formative time in our church where it's time for us to start making disciples. Not just reaching them, but making disciples, growing them strongly in their faith. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the blessings uh, that we have of studying and knowing your, your word. And I pray, Father, um, that, God, that you would really speak to our hearts and our lives, that you would challenge us in such a way um, that we would love you completely, that we would love others, that we would communicate your, your truth, that we would be committed to the local church, to eternal values and purposes, that we would live truth, that we would be the plumb line of the Christian faith, that our ethics would be different, our language would be different, our view of people would be different, our view of authority would be different, that whatever it is, that we would conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would deep, deeply abide in us, that you would grow us, and that you would move us to you. And uh, Father, give us the courage to take the training wheels off and ride off into the glory of the Son, Jesus Christ, asking people to come with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.